Today I want to talk about when Jesus, when nobody wants Jesus, when people don't want Jesus, and you think to yourself, why would somebody not want Jesus? Why would somebody not want him? I mean, Jesus came to earth. He had no absolute reason to. He was in heaven with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. He had everything made. He had the opportunity to do whatever he wanted. He's not forced to do anything. And he came down of humble origins to come and seek, it says, to seek and save that which was lost. He came down because, and it talks about John three sixteen, God so loved the world, the world, and the word world there is the word for evil world, just for the record. And he looked at us and he said, they need something. They need hope. They need, uh, they need a way out of their sin. They need a way out of the evil. And so Jesus came to earth. And then you think about Jesus' life. Did Jesus come in and force himself on people? What did he do when he came to a town? What we've been talking about in the book of Mark. He came in and did such horrible things like heal people. Oh man, you can't have somebody like that who's reaching out to people. And telling them the truth. And telling them about a way out of their sin. And telling them about good things. He, when a storm comes up, what does he do? He stops the storm and saves everybody. And you think, that's the kind of person I want to be around. That's the kind of person that I want to be near. And that's the person that you think you'd want to be. And so you think about it today and we say, well, if I met Jesus today, I'm pretty sure that I would want to be around him. Because, I mean, who wouldn't want to be there to watch the miracles and, and hear the wisdom of God himself who spoke the, the world into existence, telling us about everything. But you see, people at this time, and the story we're going to talk about today, the people didn't want him around. We've already seen one story where he sent a bunch, when he uh, freed a demoniac, and he freed the person, and they were more mad because the pigs got killed than they were about the, than, than happy about the fact that he set somebody free. They said, get out of our land. We've already seen one story. Now what Jesus is going to do today is he's going to go back to his hometown. He's going to go back to where he's from. He's going to go back to Nazareth. And he's going to go back and his mother, his brothers, and his sisters are going to be there. The people that probably were his teachers as a kid, the people that knew him best are going to see him. And he's going to what you think would be the safest space in the world for him. Where you can always come to a spot where people love you and care about you and you have a home. And he's going to come there, and people are going to say, we don't want you. And who do you think you are? What, what, are you, what are you trying to do? And I think that it's important to understand that even when Jesus was around, people didn't want him. And now, you say, well, many years later, it's tougher for us to want Jesus because we didn't get to see him. But in reality, in some respects, it's easier for us because we get to see the whole story. But we want to talk about today what causes people to not want Jesus, what causes us to not want Jesus around, and what is, it, what is it that we can do to help people understand who Jesus is and break through those things that keep us away from Jesus. So if you look at Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 1, Jesus is again on the move. Mark, the book of Mark is constantly about Jesus is moving. It talks about he went away, or he went on a boat, or he went across the sea. He went away from there and came to his hometown, 
and his disciples followed him. And the people that were with him came with him. And remember, the last time though, even though I'm talking about this being safe, maybe some of you have had this experience. I don't know if anybody's ever had their family disagree with them. I'm sure that's unheard of here, right? Nobody, nobody, yeah, sure. Especially your parents. Anybody ever have your parents disagree with what you're doing? No, 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 no. But remember what happened last time Jesus saw his family? Mark 3.21. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him. This is the word for basically kidnap him. Because they were saying, he is out of his mind. Our kid's crazy. We need to go kidnap him and deprogram him. So, this is, I mean, we all have pictures now of Mary, the mother of Jesus, okay? I mean, we all kind of have these photos, especially around Christmas time, and Mary's so loving towards her child. At one time, she went out, thought he was crazy, and tried to kidnap him. Just for, I mean, and his brothers, who became leaders in the church, like James, it's not even thought of his mind, went to seize him. So he's taking a little bit of a risk going home, because there is some reputation that he might be a little crazy. Um, so the reports of his mission probably had reached his hometown. And so he went there. To t- he was going to go bring his ministry to them. So in verse 2, Jesus is going de- to show us uh, about this concept. But we're going to see Mark's going to show us trying to define Jesus in our own way. And this whole section is going to be about Jesus coming in and saying, this is who I am, this is what I am. And a bunch of people saying, no, you're not. You're actually this. And I can tell you this is true today. There are all kinds of people who will tell you how Jesus really is. There's been all kinds of movements to make Jesus. Jesus is just about, you know, I like hippie Jesus. It's always been one of my favorite ones. Hippie Jesus is just about love. Just love. He accepts everything. Do whatever you want. But we've, all, we've got mean Jesus who yells at us all the time. We've got all kinds of Jesuses that are out there. But we need to understand that we need to define Jesus the way he is, the way he defines himself. But let's look at the story. Let's start with, first of all, in verse 2. And it says, On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? So here comes Jesus. The Son of God, the one that Mary herself should know as the Son of God. And he's, and they, what's their first questions? Not what is he teaching, not what is he about, it's who does he think he is? Wait a sec, is that that little guy we used to wipe his nose? He can't be anything. Who does he think he is? So they invite him in to teach because they're probably curious to find out what's going on. And we don't even hear anything about what he says. It doesn't say anything about what he says. But this is the third time that people are going to ask questions. At the synagogue gathering earlier in Mark 127, they're going to say, what is this about Jesus? Earlier, again, they're going to say, or who is this? What is this is going to be Mark 2.7, where they're going to say, what is this? Who does he think he is for, uh, by the teachers of the synagogue? But now the question is, where does he get this? Where does this come from? Notice the question that is not asked. Is it true? Nobody wants to know what is true. And we find this out in arguments that people come up to. We get off in the wrong direction 
And we never ask the right questions, which is, is this something that can transform our lives? Is this something that is good for us? They're so stuck on where does he get this from? The people are perplexed. It says they're astonished. But they're not astonished in a good way by Jesus. They're astonished because we can't accept him. We don't want to listen to him. He has the truth. He has the thing that will set them free. And all they're hung up on is, where did he get this? What's behind this? What's his source? And, and even the word, I like this. How are these mighty works done by his hands? I think that just stands out to me in verse, in verse 2. It's like, his hands? I mean, really? Jesus, the Jesus kid? How is his hands capable and worthy of all of this? And people are going to ask questions then. And then in verse 3, they're going to say, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And they're not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. So they're stuck on the problem again of, his, of, his ish, of what he has. They're stuck on what, where does the source come from? Where does his power come from? Where, who, why is he able to heal people now? Why is he able to say these things? It can't be true because it's Jesus. Notice in Mark, the story of Jesus before his baptism ministry are not important. Notice Mark doesn't even have a... If you're, you're going to do a story of Mark on Christmas, it's basically Jesus is around. Well, how did he get here? Mark's like, I don't, it's not that important to us. It's one of the only Gospels that has nothing. It just starts out with Jesus got baptized, he's ministering, and here he goes. So for Mark, it's not important, but for these people, they're obsessed by it. And they say to themselves, in fact, this is the only time we find out that Jesus had siblings and what profession he did. And he's a craftsman. The word here is a craftsman, which means he probably did a lot of things. Jesus must have, a commentator said, Jesus must have been technically skillful and physically strong. He says, the airy weakling, weakling often presented to us in pious paintings and Hollywood movies would hardly have survived the rigors of being Nazareth uh, craftsman from his youth to his early 30s. In other words, he was probably a very strong, robust guy that was able to do all kinds of work because work at this time was not get out your power tools. We're going to build something. Okay, you carry it. And so in other words, he's probably a laborer Somebody that they look at as strong, that did manual labor with the horses and things like that. And they're looking at him and they say, isn't he just a carpenter? Isn't he just something like that? And they even say, isn't he the son of Mary? Which is a strange thing to say at this time. But we think it means that by this time, Joseph had died. But he says, the son of Mary, isn't he just one of the common kids that we have around here? Isn't he just like us? All their questions are trying to say that he's just nothing. He's not somebody that we have to listen to. And if we can just ask enough questions, if we can just put him down enough, we don't have to be confronted by what he's trying to say. You see, Mark wants us to know that the answer to all these questions is he is the Son of God. Who does he think he is? He's the Son of God. Where does he get his power? God. Where does he get his wisdom? From God himself. Why does he do these things? Because he does the will of the Father. And it's important for us to understand that Mark wants us to know that there's something deeper. You see, 
There's a worldly perspective that people look at Jesus with. 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul puts it this way. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him this, thus no longer. In other words, they're using their own human understanding and saying, it must fit the way that I want it to. We can't have this person. We can't have him the way that it is. And perhaps being too familiar with Jesus was a problem. You think about it, they should have been able to go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, remember me? Fourth grade. It was awesome. And you're able to do all this stuff? Tell me about it. Have you ever thought that it would be kind of cool to know somebody that's famous and to have access to them? What if the president was from Bemidji and he came back to visit us and we're all just sitting around talking to the president, whatever. Hey, what's up? Good to see you. Used to play baseball with you. you know. But instead, everybody's like, who does he think he is? And you've heard this before, people around here. Oh, he's all, he's all uppity. He's all that, thinking he's all that. Or she thinks she's so much better than the rest of us. Instead of saying, this could be really interesting. We have access to somebody that has power here. We as a human response look at it and are threatened by it. We don't want this to come this way. Um, they see him only as a, a local yokel like themselves. They, didn't, they say, well, we should have seen it. If he was something special, wouldn't we have known it when he was a kid? And, you know, sometimes... People have romanticized the fact that Jesus is a carpenter. In fact, there's some stories that are out there about Jesus as a carpenter. And it's just like, he's a mighty carpenter and he's, he's a craftsman and all this. And basically the people here are like, no, he's just a carpenter. What does he know? He's not a scribe. He's not somebody who spends their time studying about God. He's just a carpenter. He's just somebody that has something to say. You see, the story of Jesus coming from lower means... The story of Jesus rising up from being a carpenter or being a craftsman into, this, into a mighty leader is something that we in America celebrate. You know, we've had presidents that have come from very lowly means and they rise all the way up. They started out with their, with their broken homes. I, I, we love the story of the underdog. I mean, how many movies have been made about uh, a bunch of kids a bunch of ragtag kids get together and then some teacher comes in and whips them into shape and they all go off to Harvard and become law professors. Or the, the bunch of ragtag kids who come from the bad tr- part of town and some coach comes in and, and lets them know who they really are. And this, we love that story in America. In this culture, you are what you are. If you're a craftsman, you stay there. If you're somebody of importance, then you're somebody of importance. So what did Jesus do to their whole understanding? He said, fine, I'm going to come in as somebody you don't think is important and show you what the real truth is. Jesus was always about mixing up the status quo. That's what's so interesting about the story of Jesus. Jesus talked to women when women had very little value at this time. Jesus was a man among the common people spoke the common language when everybody was looking, unless you had the certain education, unless you could speak a certain way, you were important. And even the, the Greeks and Romans of this time looked down on manual labor and, and said, he can't be anything. And he's just the son of, of uh, Mary around us, the brother of these other guys. And who does he think that he is? We can be stuck on asking the wrong questions about Jesus and we can be overcome by our own prejudice. 
people like to bring people down to their own level. And they don't want to, there's some jealousy that can come about when somebody has too much talent and does things too good, especially if we grew up with them. There's questions that we may ask today. Like some people would say, well, Jesus was a different color than I am. Thus, who does he think he is? In other words, unless Jesus, and we'll see it in paintings all over the place. I mean, Jesus did not look like he was from Sweden. Okay, let's stop that right now. The whole blonde hair, he's not a Viking. Never was, never will be. Okay? And we, we try to make Jesus, because that's okay then. If we listen to him, if he looks like us, Jesus looked like a Middle Eastern person. And where we ask, like, well, Jesus is just one of those dead white males that we can't listen to. Is he really, does he understand the feminine mystique? Does he really understand? And I've heard people say this. Jesus, and they'll try to say, if he was, the womanness of Jesus needs to come out more. Okay. So again, trying to make it, well, he wasn't educated. I'm educated, and I can't listen to Jesus because he didn't have a, a nice enough degree. Okay, and then we're putting Jesus, and if Jesus had a degree, well, he invented everything and created everything. I think he's smarter than we are, but, um, or we try to update him. Jesus needs a little bit more update. The whole teachings that he has, the whole understanding of marriage just between a man and a woman, that's so not our century. We've got to change Jesus to make him more like us, okay? Or maybe we had a bad experience with somebody who told us about Jesus. We have a guy down the street who puts a cross up and talks about Jesus, and he's nuts. Thus, we can't listen to Jesus. We have some barrier. Or maybe we grew up in the church, or we grew up in a country where they were always talking about um, Jesus, or it was a part of our curriculum or something like that, but we never really accepted Jesus, and now it's just like, yeah, Jesus, what's up with that? It's not even a big deal. So we're asking the right question. We're asking all these questions. And in fact, people are always trying to make Jesus just a little bit better. If you know, I, I don't know if you caught this, but there's a lot of writings out there where people are trying to improve on Jesus and make him like more superhero-like or more, just like I said, more effeminate or more strong or more this or more that or more like this. In fact, they've been doing this since the second century. And these things are called infancy gospels. That these guys, and they were, they were writing about, we don't know enough about Jesus' life story before uh, the book of Mark and Matthew and all of them talk about it. So let's fill in the gaps. So let me tell you some of the stories that people were making up. And these are stories that, are, that interestingly enough, appear in the Koran. Because Muhammad picked them up and thought they were cool and put them in the Koran. Um, in the one thing, it talks about the fact that Jesus was so supernatural, he was a trickster in the nature of the godchild of the Greek myths. One of the stories that they brought up was Jesus used to make clay birds when he was a little kid. And then when he proceeds just to all of a sudden go, come to life, come to life, come to life, come to life. Or he'd throw them up in the air and they'd come to life. So they made Jesus more interesting. But they also made him kind of bad. Um, in another episode, a child disperses water, dispenses water that Jesus had collected, and, Je and Jesus kills his first child. Jesus just says, you're dead to that kid. When at, age, when at age one he curses a boy, which causes the child's bother, body to wither into a corpse. Kind of like the fig tree. 
Jesus had a little temper when he was a kid. Later, Jesus kills another child when Jesus curses him when he apparently bumps into Jesus. See, we made him tougher, right? Nobody bumps into Jesus. Okay, see what they're trying to do here? They're trying to fill in the gaps. He, or another kid throws a stone at Jesus or, or punches Jesus. Depends on the translation. When, the Jesus, when Joseph and Mary's mother... Uh, think of the parents that are around them. If you find out that Jesus is going around, well, killing other kids, some of the parents come and complain to Jesus... Okay, so Jesus blinds them all and just says, you're all blind. And then Jesus starts receiving lessons like he's in school or uh, church school, but then he arrogantly tries to teach the teacher instead, upsetting the teacher who suspects supernatural gifts, and Jesus is amused, and at this point he decides, I better start being nice. So this is from the 100s. People are already trying to fill in the gaps and make Jesus. This is early hippie Jesus, I'm trying to say. This is early, we're going to make Jesus a tough guy. Nobody crosses Jesus. Okay? And we try to make him in our own image. We try to make him the way we want. And people, we try to, we need to understand that Jesus came exactly the way that we needed, and he is exactly the way he is because he's the Son of God, and we need to stop changing him. If there's something in the Bible you don't like, guess what? It's your problem, not Jesus's. I'm going to be honest with you. It really gets hard when people are constantly saying, we need to update what Jesus said. Or that was just for that time period. Or don't you understand that was a first century understanding? Well, the, the stuff I just read you was a second century understanding. I don't want that Jesus. I want the true Jesus that is represented by the Gospels. And are you still trying to dress up Jesus even today when our, our, our church leaders? Think about Jesus and who he is. Jesus is a common person who probably looked very strong, probably had rough hands from all of his work. And one uh, writer brought this up. He said, one might also compare an advertisement for a highly successful evangelistic team with Paul's description about how others regarded him. The team build, build themselves as the world's greatest exhibition of power, strength, speed, inspiration, and motivation. And know that they've been featured in national magazines and television. By contrast, Paul, viewed, Paul was viewed as a spectacle, like one sentenced to death in the arena. He was judged as a fool, weak, dishonored, ill-clad, buffeted, homeless, an exhausted laborer, and the dregs of all things. In other words, we like to dress up our, our pastors and we like, and pastors are really good about this too. I have a picture that I showed my board once, and I've talked about it, where there was this pastor, this huge picture of his head as you he came into the thing. And so I took a picture next to it, and I told my church that we were going to start doing that right here. I mean, in fact, we could still do it. We could just have a big picture of my head up there. All right? And you think to yourself, why would we do that? And I asked, I agree, why would we do that? Jesus wouldn't have wanted to do that. But we do that. We make the superstar Christians. We make the superstar. This pastor's got a TV show, so he must be good. This pastor is a smooth. This pastor has the cool speaker voice and the cool speaker hair. Jesus has the truth. And I'd rather be more like Jesus and not be looking for my own acclaim, but going out and preaching the truth. And you know what? It may not work. 
we shouldn't be promoting how, how great we are when Jesus was not promoting how great he was, and he's greater than any of us. It's not the way we want it. It's the way God wants it. Mark wrote his gospel to help us overcome the obstacles that, G- that have tripped up many, many people throughout the years. We, and we need to understand blindness to the truth is going to take on many forms. And whether it's the teachers of the law, whether it's those people that were more worried about their money, or people that were too close to Jesus, there's always going to be an excuse to not follow after him. So what's the response of Jesus? I honestly have to say, verse 4 is one of the scariest verses in my life. Okay? I grew up in Bemidji. That's why. Okay. And Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown. Yay. And among his relatives and in his own household. Okay? So Jesus brings up a response and said, here's, here's the deal, everybody. First of all, why are you looking at me like this? He says, But you know a prophet is not without honor. And what's interesting is he goes through this thing. Notice who he lists. His hometown, okay, first of all, not his town, but then even his relatives and his household. This tells me that the same Mary and brothers that came to take him away are still thinking he's out of his mind at this point. Now we're going to see Mary at the cross where she comes around. We're going to see James become one of the leaders of the church. But we need to understand that not everybody was accepting Jesus at this time. His own family, his own hometown would not accept him. And all this is going to show that he's a prophet and he's going to suffer and, and like many prophets are before him. And John the Baptist will later and he's going to die later. And it's important that we understand that it also foreshadows the rejection that he will receive from his own people. His own town rejects him. And it says that in verse 6, it's going to talk about the fact that he marveled or he is perplexed at why they wouldn't accept him. The last thing we need to see about this is because of this and because of our own understanding is people are going to miss Jesus. Verse 5, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a, on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their disbelief. This verse strikes very hard if you look at it. Do you want to be around when Jesus is there ready to do mighty acts in your life and your disbelief causes him to say no? That strikes me hard. Because it says to me that Jesus, it's not like Jesus is um, unable to do anything. Jesus can come in and do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But he said, I, he could do no mighty works there because Jesus set it up so that there must be faith. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? What did Jesus say to her? Your faith has made you whole. And if we don't have faith in Christ, if we want to get stuck on our own arguments, we want to get stuck on putting Jesus in our own little canister and making him appear the way we want, we're going to miss Jesus just like these people did. And you know what's worse about this? Because the people were so obnoxious to Jesus, who hurt because of that? People that could have been saved, people that could have been healed. It says only a few 
were healed. Only a few sick people, and we think these are people that somehow broke through the spirit of unbelief and got to Jesus and said, I still believe, and Jesus healed them. But every other town we're going to see in the future, Jesus is going to be healing people, healing people, setting people free of demons, and all the people of Nazareth missed out on it. Why? Because they had to be right. They had to stick Jesus and make him like them. They had to say, we're not going to listen to him. We're not going to hear the words of truth because that would make us feel uncomfortable and it might go against some of our preconceived notions. And, what it, and it says, verse, at the end of verse 6, it says the fact that he moves on to other towns. In other words, Jesus is looking for places to do things and if we don't want him to do stuff here, he's going to find another place to do it. That is hard truth that hurts to hear. And I would say that as as a church. If we want God to do mighty things through us as a church, he will do it. But if if we don't, he'll do it some other place. He is looking for opportunities. He's looking for people that will trust him. He's looking for people that will believe in him. He's looking for people that will follow after him. But people are missed are going to miss out on Jesus if we don't put our full faith in him. And I think that that's something that just strikes me over and over again. And our doubt, that our doubt in Christ can affect a whole community. And Jesus is perplexed by his own people. We need to understand that in the gospel, but we also need to understand in the gospel presentation that sometimes people are going to miss Jesus and we present him too. I just wanted to end that with that. That we need to understand that just because we present people the truth. Have you ever gone up to somebody and they're hurting and they're crying and they say, I don't know why my life is so messed up. And you look at them and you say, I was exactly the way you were. And then I became a Christian and God set me free. And why don't you accept this? And they look at you and go, no, I won't do it. I won't take it. I won't accept Jesus. And you say, why? They wouldn't accept Jesus here. Many people laughed at Jesus. They mocked him. They kicked him out of his own town. Or they told him to leave his own town. Or we don't, we don't want you here. And they're going to do the same thing with you. Does that mean we should not continue to present the gospel? No, because you know what's fascinating about this? is some of the people at his hometown eventually did come to Christ. He obviously didn't give up on his family. So Jesus didn't give up on them. That's something I think you need to understand. It's Jesus walked away right here, but he didn't give up on his family. And we don't even know the story about what happened with his hometown. Maybe there was a huge church that was started there. We don't, Mark doesn't tell us, but I can tell you this, is that there, there's gonna, there was hope for the future. So here's the challenge for us today. Why don't you stand with me? First of all, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ... Maybe you've come and you said, you've got your own excuses. He's not this, he's not that. He doesn't present the way the things I want. He doesn't talk like my friends do. He's not the way, maybe I've grown up with church and I'm not going to accept it anymore because I've already been, um, you know, kind of, um, kind of got grown cold to it. You need to break through that and say, break through all those cultural barriers that we have. Break through the fact that Jesus 
maybe doesn't look exactly like you. Okay, Jesus was a man. That doesn't mean he's wrong. Okay? If, it's because some people would say that. He's a man, thus he must be wrong. He's a Jewish man. Anti-Semitism, boy, that's come out. Maybe, well, he's not educated, so he can't be right. How about just looking to see what he says? How about looking to see what he does? And saying, is he the answer for my life? So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ and there's been barriers, I pray right now that you just look and say, Jesus, I want to see what you're saying. Maybe in the past I've seen a bad Christian example. Maybe in the past I've seen all this stuff that has gotten in the way of you. But today, I want you to break through. Break through and let me see who you really are. And if you're here today, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. They'll be right over here and say, I want to become a Christian. But for everybody else who's here, there are things that Jesus says and there's things that Jesus does that are uncomfortable. Okay? They, they, they force me into a way that I don't want to be. Okay? When someone strikes you on the cheek, don't hit them back and set off with the other cheek. Anybody have that one come easy to you? Anybody? Not me. Or, you know, do not hold, you know, forgive one another. Love one another. I don't want to love one another. They're not very lovable. I don't want to forgive them. And then you say, well, maybe Jesus really meant this. Or maybe we're going to remake Jesus the way we want him to. No. We take Jesus as he is. Because he wants to change our lives. And we accept Jesus and become one of his disciples. It says that we are his brothers, his mother and his father. We are his family. And he wants to make us whole. He wants to heal the hurts that we have. But we have to get over ourselves. Get over our, you know, get over our preconceived notions, get over the negative things that we have, and really find a way to get to Jesus. So this is right now, just as I'm praying, let's just say, God, if there's anything in my life that I've put in the way, maybe I've been hurt by somebody, maybe I've, been hurt, I've seen whatever, maybe one of these examples, you know, you have all these animosities that rise up in you, but we need to understand, don't let those get in the way of finding out what Jesus says. Lord, today, we don't want to miss you, Jesus. I'm just going to first start out as a church, God. We don't want to be the church where you come in and we say, no, we'd rather not listen. And we don't want to be the church that doesn't have mighty acts of God happen because we're not willing to accept it your way. God, we want to see mighty acts happen here. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see people healed, God. And if that requires us giving up of ourselves and getting over ourselves, let us get over ourselves, God. And I pray right now, God, that in each of our lives, each of us has baggage, God, that we've grown up with. Each of us, maybe it's, it's hatred for a certain kind of person or we don't accept people that are this way or that way or uh, we don't want to be one of those people, God. Let us cut through all of that and find out what you truly have to say. Let us not be like the people of Jesus' hometown or even his own family, God, that couldn't see past their own biases. God, let your Holy Spirit now work in our lives because, God, we can't do this on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to come and transform us. 
And God, let us walk out of here with a new image of you. A new image that's not our creation. Not the person that we want you to be, God, but the person you are. The God that you are. The example that you gave us. Because the world is dying for you, God. They're dying for your hope. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.